We are uh, in, in Ephesians, and we've been working through Ephesians for a while, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Um, feel free to look on your, your electronic device, too. I love to have you guys in the scripture with me as well. Um, this is, uh, we have to just kind of real quickly remember where we're coming out of. Again, the, the book of Ephesians, as one of the benefits to going through it, just a book, is that we get kind of the whole picture. But one of the downsides is that we do it once a week. And so a lot of times we can forget if we're not careful about where we've been. And the first three chapters of Ephesians remind us of who we are in Christ. Who we are because of what Christ has done for us and what he, well, who he is. And not, not because of what we do or what we may do or what we think is good. And then we moved on and we got to... Um, we're told to be imitators of God, and, and we got a couple weeks ago, Dr. Voorhees shared with us, what does it really truly mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And really in this section, even though that filled with the Holy Spirit is in chapter 4, or, um, it, this, or chapter 5, this, this is just a continuation of what being filled with the Spirit looks like. And so as we, as we work on into these, this scripture, even Danny last week speaking about submission as a whole, the submission, how we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is a continuation of what it means to look like being filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we do so because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then this section this week goes into specifically different roles inside of that submission. And I'll admit that this is one of those sections of scripture in the next few weeks are going to be kind of difficult for us to get through and difficult for some of us in this place. I want to, I want to kind of push on you. Um, specifically, some of you in here are going to hear this scripture and you, you have seen kind of a distortion of this scripture or you've experienced a distortion of these roles. And so you'll find yourself maybe getting frustrated or maybe feisty or a little bit kind of welled up, or maybe you'll use the word like, I'm, I'm just really passionate about this. I want to just, if you'll, if you'll let me as the pastor, just, just kind of press on you a little bit is, is that a lot of times um, that passion is there because the Holy Spirit is actually trying to teach you something. And so my assumption is some of us maybe are, are going to wrestle with, with this scripture and you're going you're gonna to wrestle with the understanding of this scripture. And so maybe this passion that's in place, the Spirit's actually trying to, to push on you in, in the sense that your, your passion is, is misguided. And maybe God is, is trying to mature you as we've been talking about through this book of Ephesians. He's trying to help you with an understanding. Some of you, your, your passion is welled up in this, and you're super excited about it, but he's, got, he's not saying that you're misguided in it, but instead he's, he's trying to help you understand more fully what it means to be passionate about this and how that's supposed to play out in your life. And so I just want to challenge you guys, encourage you that the Spirit is, he's relentless about growing us and maturing us and making us more like Christ, and that is his role, and that's his desire. And so I just, my hope is that you guys are um, submitted to that. In fact, last week, uh, Danny worked through a uh, submission, the, the verse 21, just the one verse, and he gave us a definition that I really, really like. It's, it's kind of just our working definition that we're going to use. It's, it's submission is joyfully, willingly, and humbly trusting God, or trusting Christ, with my life and perceived rights, seeking to live under his rule and those who are in a leadership under him. Again, if we, we have to remember that submission isn't just a, a I, I put myself under unwillingly. A submission is I joyfully put myself under someone else. So let's, let's go ahead and read the scripture where we are today. Um, again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24 is where we're at. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Again, I understand that there's a, a number of, of kind of landmines in the scripture. There's a lot we need to understand in this scripture, but let me just say this specifically. When we, when we distort or we destroy the roles in, in the way that God has created them, the family order relationships, we hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our community. When we, when we step outside of the roles the way that God has created them, what we're saying is that our ways are better than his, and, and that, that we, we then hinder the Holy Spirit and his work in our community. Um, there's a few things that we need to understand um, in this text that I want to just kind of define, and then we're going we're gonna to talk a lot more about how this plays out. Again, last week, if you look at the submission, again, the word submit actually isn't even in verse 22. Verse 21 tells us to submit, and then 22 on is, this is how you do it. So it says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, here's how that looks. That submission to Christ looks this way through these scriptures. Um, first, I want to I define, there's a couple, again, things that maybe people take out of context. It says, as to the Lord. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. Um, some would maybe take that to mean that, that your husband is the Lord. That's not actually what it's saying here. It's actually um, the posture in which you submit. So it's saying when you submit to your husbands, it is like it is submitting to the Lord. When you don't, then you aren't submitting to the Lord. So it's, it's, it's not saying that your husband is the Lord, but it's saying that the way that wives submit to their husbands. Now, this is key. Wives and husbands. Okay, not all women and men in this situation. Wives and husbands is what this is talking about specifically. But it says when we submit, when you submit as a wife to your husband, it's, it's not that you're, you're submitting to your husband. It's that you're actually submitted to the Lord in the roles he's called you to be in. And so that submission is, is, is that value. And the second thing, the second word is savior in here. Um, a lot of... Uh, Scholars kind of go about three ways on this, this scripture in verse 23 when it ends and, and is himself its savior. Um, some think that himself is talking about the husband being the savior. And what they do is they, they change the word savior to mean protector or provider. That, that word savior is, is actually, and the reason why it's capitalized, is, is actually in reference to Christ as our savior, our Lord and savior. And so where we get that and where we can understand that is in verse 24. It starts and says now, but that is better translated but. The way that we, we have it in our scripture, it says, it says now as the church submits. So actually it should say, and is himself its savior, but as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to the husband. So again, it's not calling the husband the savior. It's an emphatic form that clearly refers to Christ as the savior of the church. So those are two areas that we have to understand. Again, as to the Lord is not, is not that you're submitting to your, your, your husband who is the Lord. It's that your submission to your husband is you fully submitting to the Lord. And that Christ is our Savior and not our husbands or not your husbands in that setting. And so that's another clarifying thing. Another, another section in here that this is really difficult that we have to understand is this idea of head. And there's, there's been a lot of scholars and a lot of, a lot of talk really specifically around the 1950s when this became a different thing. Up until that point, everyone kind of agreed on what head really meant when it's talking about husband being the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. And in, in the 50s, one of the commentators, one of the scholars, kind of a, a famous person, started looking at that word and saying, I'm not really sure that that scripture head actually means the word head. Instead, it's, it's probably better translated source. And so there was this, this kind of in the 70s, 80s kind of took over where a lot of people were defining this section to say that, that the husband is the source of the wife, not the head, and that the Christ is the source of the church. So, which again, it, it makes sense. Like the husband, you know, the wife was fashioned out of the rib of the husband, Adam and Eve, and we don't have a church without being submitted to Christ. But, but we have to understand something, and we'll get there in, in two weeks, 
This understanding to the scripture, although it seems harmless, is incredibly hostile. Because what it's doing here is it's trying to take away the idea of authority because it makes it more palatable, because most of us struggle with the idea of a husband having authority of a wife, right? Because we, we deal with this, 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 wow, that makes him seem so unvalued or not important. But what the, the struggle of doing that is actually was really cleared up pretty easily when they started looking at, okay, well, how many other times is this Greek word head used in other, script, other writings that aren't in the New Testament? So when we see all the Greek writings everywhere else, what is, it, what is that word used as? In fact, we see nowhere, nowhere that the word head is ever translated source. So meaning that you don't ever see him saying cows are the source of milk. No other writing out there. In fact, so much so that the most recent lexicons, the Greek translation of lexicons, don't even, for this word that's head, don't even have source as an option anymore. And so head truly is, is this idea of head and body. So what is, what is he talking about here? Well, Think of it this way. If, if your head and your body aren't working together, things go wrong, right? If our head and our body aren't, aren't responding, a physical body that doesn't respond to the direction of the head is usually considered paralyzed or crippled, right? So, so, so it makes sense that our head and our body are one, but it's our head that, that dictates and, 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 and tells our body what to do. But it's our body's job to let our head know when something's missing or wrong. It's our body's job to work together. So they work together as one. And the Apostle Paul uses this picture of husbands being the head of their wives as Christ is the head of the church. And so we see this working here. The husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And although the Apostle grounds this, this relationship, which we're going to get in two weeks, he, he grounds this very relationship in the creation order. We'll see that in verse 28. He, he literally takes and says, the reason why this is a big deal is because it goes all the way back to the garden in the creation order. But he says, instead of, instead of saying, just grounds it there, he says he defines it in the relationship to the headship of Christ as the Redeemer. So we see this beautiful picture of Christ in the church. Christ's headship over the church is expressed by his loving it and giving his life for it. And that has profound implications for the husband's behavior as head of the wives, which we'll actually get into that next week. We'll talk more about that specifically there. But the role of the church and Christ is similar to the role of the wife and husband. Look, we've all, if, if we're honest, I bet I could have hours of conversation with every single one of us about how we have seen the church mess up when they're not submitted to Christ. We've all experienced in some way when we see a church that isn't fully surrendered to Christ in something, whether it's their finances or they start getting more and more about themselves and less about what God is doing, we've seen how that has a nasty effect on the church. We've seen how that can go wrong. So why would we ever assume then, if this is the, if this is the parallel relationship that God is going to say in place, why would we assume that when a wife doesn't submit to a husband, we wouldn't see the same things go wrong? He really, he really ties those two together, and we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit more um, as we go on. But, but to do that, I actually wanted to have um, Debbie join me. So Debbie, can you come on up here and join me, please? See, Debbie and I have been studying this for, I think it was two months ago since we started talking about this. We've been studying this together, and I thought it would be beneficial for her to, um, to be up here with me in this text today. Uh, let, me, let me say this clearly. Not because I don't believe that as your pastor I can't communicate to you what it means in the scripture for a wife to submit to a husband, but because I believe there's immense value in us doing this together. Between the two of us, we spend a lot of time with couples. I spend a lot of time with individuals or couples as a pastor and then doing a ton of premarital, and you as a counselor spent 
countless hours with couples and working or individuals in that way. So I feel like the experience brings um, immense things. And this is, this is a fun subject, so I'm glad you're doing this <laughs> with me. Um, but Debbie, and as far as kind of what I've shared so far, like, what would you like to add to some of that stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always daunted by the subject for myself as a woman and a wife. I have, uh, we've been married 45 years, Al and I, and it's been like this struggle of journey and learning and getting it. And then sitting with couples in counseling, you know, hearing their struggles, knowing I have similar things, so pressing into God. So I do have a few things uh, to add, and not that I've gotten all this perfect for sure at, on any level, but I'm striving as well in the Lord to understand the will of God. And there's a couple things that stand out to me that for men and women, as we look at submitting one to another in the fear of God, and the, I think one of the first things I want to say is what or who we live for defines our life, especially our marriage. I lived for safety so much of my, my life. I, I have this uh, desire to make everybody safe. And so I began to see that I wasn't, I would uh, allow safety to take the place of living for God and his kingdom and his purposes at times. Um, we are coming into this section right off like Bren said from verse 21 that says be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Uh, as men and women, we should ask the question of ourselves, is God, is God Almighty worthy of me laying down my life, dying to myself, and living for him? The one that that gave everything for me, is he worthy to put first? Uh, God wants to live through us. He wants to actually live his life and his way through us. Do we want this? Do you set out in life, whether you're going to work or whether you're in a marriage, do you set out thinking this? I know this is where sometimes I skip this whole thing. I just think about what I want. But as followers, God's saying, can you let me live my life through you? Will you die? Will you recognize that my purposes and my will are greater? And so this is a foundational thing when we look at submitting to each other. Uh, last week, Danny referred to the Apostle John in, in the book of Revelation. And after he saw Christ risen, he fell as a dead man at his feet. I think that's a great picture. That is where we have to begin if we're looking at submission, one to another in marriage. Start out seeing him clear enough that we recognize, Lord, I die and you live. There's an awe there in that reverence for him that'll carry us through. Jesus patterned this because he lived his life to do the will of the Father, not his own will. He, and it cost him everything. But what it gained was our re relationship renewed with the Father and his name, Jesus' name, being above every name. But he was farsighted in that he saw that. That was his joy that was set before him. So he endured the cross. And so there's this thing again, 
I need to die, but there's going to be this unbelievable fruitful garden that's going to come up if I submit into the Father's will and not my own. In the crash here, it's a lot of times my rights versus God's purpose. Are we at a place in our Christianity, do we realize what Christianity is when it says, no, you have to give up your rights that my kingdom is exalted past that. Think about the times you struggle. What do you fight for? And our culture says you have the right to fight for your rights. Bottom line, God says, you die, I live. And it's not, again, an abusive place. It's so much about being secured in his love and the attitude that comes from that because we're not striving to get what God's already given us. Um, here's another question. <laughs> I want to first read a scripture to you that confirms that God asks us to live in the same way as Christ. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, for the love of Christ, I'm sorry, yes, for the love of Christ controls us. Okay, now I want to tell you that the word control means control. And it's as bad as it sounds. It actually means to confine, leaving no options. All right? For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Basic Christianity but yet, when those conflicts and hurts and disappointments and frustrations come on any level, especially in marriage, do we want to be controlled by anything, even if it's by his love? That's something we need to wrestle with in ourselves. Um, can we acknowledge that his ways are better than mine? When God asks me to trust him, my usual response can be, no, I don't want to, or I can't. I'm afraid. There are things that come up and say, no, I, I can't do it your way. That, that's going to produce hurt in me. I know that's not going to work out. And so that can be our go-to. Um, but Isaiah 55, and we've, we sung a couple songs about it, it's very cool. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9 has a, a smattering of this in it. And you can look it up for yourself. But it says in there, to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call upon him, he will have compassion. To seek him because his thoughts and ways are higher than mine. Do we do that? Do we seek him? When we're in that crash, in that moment of frustration in our marriage, I tend to lean into my own ways, my own thoughts. But God's saying, no, seek me. I have a better answer. Many times couples will come and we'll sit down and, and the, the wife is saying plan A and the husband's saying plan B. And I always say, you know what? Seek the Lord. He has plan C. You're not even asking God's plan C. And it's, it's powerful when we begin to do that. So submission to God comes first before we can submit to one another. We need to solve that, settle that.
Well, you've been married longer than I've been alive, so um, <laughs> sorry. He has to pull the old card. <laughs> um, and so 45 years, you must have done everything perfect. So That's can you go ahead and share how um, you've achieved this and done it well? You see why he wants to bring me up here? Do you understand <laughs> now? Um, yeah, I can't tell you how much I've failed in this. Seriously, I'm not joking. Um, we got married when I was 18, and, and, and we got saved, like, right at the same time. So I've been walking with the Lord 45 years, but it didn't even occur to me how this worked, or even it just, God's had to really work in my life. But the first thing I want to say is that it's taken me a long time to realize that God gave me my husband, Al, as a gift. Um, there, there were years I just, I didn't understand where God, what were you thinking, Lord? I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's how the, this confidence I had in, in, in my value, which is really, really sad. So anyway, what I've seen of my husband is the fruit of the Spirit. What I've seen in my husband is so much about 1 Corinthians 13 towards me. He has lived being patient with me and kind and not seeking his own. He puts me first. He puts my preferences so many times before his. He loves cars, and, and I, I mean, I don't like them at all, I, I just don't. And so he, but I like things that he doesn't like, I know, but you know what? He jumps into my world, and I still struggle to do anything with cars. And, he, but he has shown me Christ's love so much. He's endured in love my arrogant and sinful ways, and he holds me up as precious in the middle of that. That's amazing, and I thank God for my husband. Together, though, he would say the same thing as me. We've made a thousand mistakes. I mean a thousand mistakes. And counting, right? And counting. Yeah. Um, but this God's way of submission being pressed into our lives has definitely transformed us and, and changed our thinking and our purposes. Ephesians 5.17, which we went over before, cautions us not to be foolish. And it, dis it defines what foolish is. It's living our life ignorant of the will and purposes of God. Like I said, I live for safety. And I didn't even know I was doing that. I couldn't, you know, I just knew I had certain ways of handling things that I didn't know behind it was a lot of fear. And it was all about safety. So that, that added to foolish decisions. And this is why Ephesians cautions us, know the will of God, know him, so you won't have a life of foolishness. What did it truly mean for me to lay down my life for Christ and his kingdom? Well, God wanted me to know that. So like I said, I was 18, Albert was 22, we got married, and I had a plan. Let me just tell you, I had it all laid out. We were going to save our money. Two years, we were going to buy a house. We were on a savings program. And that meant no fun because you have to spend money to have fun. We'd go to the, I mean, talking little fun here, little fun. We would go to the diner. We're back east, if you can hear the accent. We'd go to a diner. My husband said, I'm getting a milkshake. No, you're not. You can't get a milkshake. That, do you know how much a milkshake costs? That was not in the budget. I was awful. Not only that. Of course, we had to have, well, I wanted the house so we could have a baby, which I had planned too, you know, the two-year plan. 
And then, now I'm only 18 years old. You got to keep this in mind, okay? It's, my clock is not exactly ticking, okay? <laughs> we not even graduated high school. No, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two weeks before I graduated high school, we got married because it was the only catering date in June. And we, God forbid we should wait till July. It's too hot in July. Yeah, I know. I mean, this was my plan. That gives you some idea of what my husband, like I said, 1 Corinthians 13 we also just got saved, so it was my plan. We should go to church. We had a church that was open four times a week. We had to go all four services because I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to do it right so much that I decided I wanted to be holy, Brent. This was rough. I decided being holy was not wearing any makeup and wearing skirts down to my ankles. Now, we just got married. <laughs> I'm 18. But You're I decided... I was a hippie. Yes, it was during that time. But uh, for for young kids, it's not hipster. Okay, no. I'm just saying out. Yeah. No, no, no. So I stopped wearing makeup. Now, for some of you, you look gorgeous without makeup. I look like I was trying to raise from the dead and never quite made it. I'm serious. <laughs> I, I think we have a picture, right? I, yeah, I should have brought yeah. it in. Actually, it really would have been quite the thing. My husband just went with this. You can imagine the shock. Um, he's still, I think, suffering from PTSD. I really do. Okay, so this whole concept, submit to your husband. This is like, <laughs> um, my thoughts were God's thoughts, after all, right? Weren't they? My timing was God's timing, so what is the problem? Albert's desires didn't really enter my world on any real level that much. And uh, then I started to look at the meaning of the word. And boy, I really didn't want to look at this, but the meaning of the word to subject. I mean, you read what you just read. In, in that definition, in the Greek, which was written, it means to arrange under. Now, this is the wife. This is me. Arrange under to yield to another's admonition and advice. To have a voluntary attitude of giving in to another and cooperating. You can see where I was really having a problem. Actually, bottom line, God was asking me to give up control, the C word, and to trust my husband. No, actually to trust God. And I didn't realize I was absolutely not. I had unbelief in my life. God, I believe you for here, but not not for here, because I might suffer loss, my definition of loss anyway. So I really resisted this. Now, I know you're going to find it hard to believe, but I had and have a struggle with independence. I, this is like a big word to me. I have a few grandchildren that are so much like me. We call them affectionately independent thinkers. They make decisions without consulting anybody, and it's way above their pay grade. So they are, like, putting themselves in danger, wrapping other people. They make these, I said, what did you think of doing? Well, I just knew that's what I had to do. And it's, you know, it's not cute with them, and it's really not, certainly not cute with me. But I was raised to be independent, and I just brought it right into my Christianity, and I figured this was, I was very proud of it, very proud of being an independent woman. You know, I also walked into the feminist movement, you know, that whole thing. And um, God challenged me uh, a long time ago now to look in his word and, and say, where, where is independence in my word? And I, I did. I looked. I, I really looked, and it's not in there. What I saw a lot of was 
dependence. And that was like a death sentence because people aren't safe and they're not trustworthy. And God sometimes isn't safe because he might not do what I want him to do. And bad things still happen to God's people. So I still had to control the situation. And so there, this was like a, a real moment. And he brought three words to me. Well, three actions that I hid my fear in, that I tried to overcome this fear with, and it was pride, independence, and rebellion. And I was heavily convicted. That, yeah, I do have pride that I think my way's the best, and I rebel. I don't care if I'm supposed to obey my husband. That, that could lead to an unsafe situation, so I'm not going to do it, and I'll make my own decisions. I have to have the last word. Pride, independence, and rebellion. How many of you have been convicted about sin? I had to first recognize those things were sin. That, that was a revelation. And that you can be convicted of sin and still do nothing about it. But if we are God's people and we are sorry for our sin, then we repent, which means to have a change of mind. And I hate changing my mind. And God's saying you must trust me more than you trust you. So that was the beginning of joy and peace in my life. And when I start feeling I lose peace or I lose joy, the first question I have to say is, uh-oh, where am I off of my independence again? It's a barometer for me. So that's the beginning. Well, it, I have the honor of knowing a lot more of your story. So I would encourage you to buy Debbie a cup of coffee, take her out in a car because she loves those rides, um, and, and uh, get more of the story. But one of the things that I really appreciate, appreciate about your story and tying it into this is that at the very end of the scripture, it says that, um, so he says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in most everything to their husbands. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I think a lot of people want to put that most in there, but it really doesn't say that. It just says in everything. Yeah. And if you look at the Greek, actually everything means everything. everything. Yeah, kind of like your control word, right? And yeah. so that's a really hard, hard statement. And so um, I wanted to just kind of turn the corner and talk about that a little bit. This has nothing to do with, for a wife, with their husband's intelligence, giftedness, or capability. I think it's really important to understand because I, I hear from a lot of wives, it's like, well, I would submit to my husband if he was more capable or if he was more gifted or if he was leading more. This doesn't say as long as they're leading, submit to them. It's, it's in everything. Essentially, it's saying that no part of a wife's life should be outside of her relationship to her husband. Um, just as the church is to submit to Christ in everything, so in every sphere, wives are expected to submit to their husbands. But the motivation for doing this is a true and godly reverence for Christ. And so when, when, when the scriptures say to submit to your husband and everything, it's a, a story that you had, you know, where there's a few moments maybe in your marriage that you didn't Just do that, few. right? I, I think of this definition where one, one, one person wrote it this way. It says, in everything indicates that this should be the normal disposition of the wife toward her husband. It means that a wife should cultivate an attitude of affirming, supporting, and respecting her husband's leadership in the marriage without holding back certain areas where she wants to assert or maintain control. There's your word again. Um, I think it's worth saying this, and we've, Danny talked about this as well last week. Uh, there is, I think Acts 5.29 kind of, uh, you the idea of a, of a wife submitting to a husband that's calling her to sin. 
529 tells us to submit to God, not to man. Acts 529. So I think there is a, a value in understanding that, but, but there's, there's a lot of ways that this goes wrong. And so that's, I think, what most people are, are questioning is, okay, well, I've seen or I struggle with, or, or how does this whole submission go wrong? And so I wanted to talk about uh, that for a second. First off, uh, one of the ways that submission has gone wrong or um, the people have used an excuse to maybe say that we're not going to submit uh, to my, my husband anymore is they, they use the cultural argument. Oh, look, look, the Apostle Paul was, you know, he was a Pharisee, so he's super Jewish, so it makes sense in his time, in his day, that he would, he would say that wives are to submit to the husbands because it wouldn't have worked any other way. But we're liberated and free, and we have all the movements, and so this just cannot apply today. And, and again, just like the head conversation at the beginning, it doesn't seem like a, a bad argument. It doesn't seem like a, a hurtful thing, but this is a really, really offensive thing to the gospel. And let me explain why. The reason why I say that is because ultimately saying it's a cultural thing means that you're, you're saying, well, obviously this isn't a truth that moves on. But, but look at how Paul communicates this. Paul doesn't say it. He, he, doesn't, he instructs wives to submit to their husbands is due to the fact that the husband-wife relationship in the Christian household is modeled on the relationship to Christ and the church. So saying it's cultural means, okay, well then, obviously it's, it's some Old Testament or Old Covenantal relationship and, and it has nothing to do with that. But these role distinctions are not based on Old Covenant. They're not based on Greco-Roman or Jewish cultures. How does Paul base this relationship? What does he say? He doesn't say, well, as long as it works today. He says, no. He models the pattern of the role of these relationships are rooted deeply in the New Covenant. Well, no one would argue today that the New Covenant isn't existing. No one would argue that Christ isn't the head of the church. But when we try to remove this in this way and say it's all just a cultural thing, we're, we're forgetting that Paul bases this first off on the created order, which we'll get there in a, in a, in a couple weeks, but also he's, he's modeling it in, in line with Christ and the church. So it's a new covenantal language. So it's not a cultural thing. We're still in the new covenant. We're still operating out of the new covenant. And so, so for us to say, well, I don't need to submit, or for wives to say, well, I don't need to submit to my husband because it's just, that's just old teaching, you're, you're, you're saying that the new covenant doesn't apply to you. And then, just in case you're wondering, the new covenant is our right standing before God through Jesus Christ. And this is, this is a very big thing. And, and one of the other ways that this goes wrong, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this here, but I'm going to read this scripture first. It's out of 1 Peter 3, and then I'll just let you talk about that scripture because it sounds hard for me to talk about. Um, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Just before here, it's really important to understand that all of chapter 2 is talking about the suffering that Christ had and actually the suffering that we are to have in light of Christ's suffering. So it's not, he's, he's literally saying, like, look, as a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't be shocked at the fact that you're going to suffer. In fact, you should expect suffering to come. And then he comes in to chapter 3. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, so even if your husbands are unbelievers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on the gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, you, that's what you used. Yeah, that's 18. what yeah, I okay. used. Right. <laughs> the clothing wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are, the ch you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, so Debbie, one of the, word, the word fear, one of the reasons why this goes bad is, is our struggles in submission is, is fear. Can you talk a little bit about that in light of this text? Yeah, that became like a big key uh, to my struggle. I think to uh, women in general, that 
And it's no accident that Peter refers to it. If you do what is right without any fear, you'll become a daughter of Sarah. When I was first saved and married and some of the ladies around me, we we're all struggling with respecting our husbands, praying for our husbands, being the wife that God wants us to be. So we formed this little group called uh, Sarah's Daughters. And this was our whole context here. And we struggled through this. This is just, I mean, it was like, I'm Italian and German, okay? Especially the Italian part. And when it says gentle and quiet spirit, I read that and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, everything about an Italian person is kind of loud and dramatic and all of that. But that's, that's not at all what it, it's talking about. It's talking about having and sitting down in who we are in Christ so much, knowing that perfect love and believing his perfect love for me, that when I'm loved imperfectly by others, I have an anchor, I have a settledness, and it's caused a quietness in me. I have his approval. I have his significance. I have his value. I have his love. And it will never change for me. When I mess up grandly, when I sin in his face, his love does not change for me. And that, ladies, is where we have a gentle and a quiet spirit. We can rest and live from that perfect love. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 says, that perfect love, perfected in us, has no place for fear. Perfect love casts out fear. But it talks about knowing and believing, coming to know and believe the love that God has for us. That's our journey, ladies. That produces a change in our attitude because we're not always on the defensive because of fear. We're not always, you know, link, thinking ahead, well, boy, if this happens, then that will happen. We have a rest. So with an attitude change, we'll have a word change. Instead of using accusational words when we have these great discussions with our husbands and blame shifting and all of that stuff, we can do fear-based words. We can have God's wisdom words that will bring life. Example, about a year ago, not long ago, I was in the car and I'm listening to Christian radio and uh, this guy comes on and he's this marriage expert. He's gonna talk about marriage. Well, my pride right away, I wanted to turn it off. I don't want to hear from anybody else. I don't like being told what to do. But this grace of God came up in me, and I said, just leave it on. So the man started talking. He was an older gentleman, and he said when him and his wife were first married, he loved cars. And um, I'm thinking, okay, what are you saying, Lord? So he did loved cars. Said, yeah, did how called this in, right? So he loved cars, and he was saying they were driving down the road, and he saw this great car in this car lot that he wanted. He said, oh, hon, oh, I think we can do that. Now we can get this car. And, and so he gave what his wife responded in that moment, and she said to him, oh, hon, I am, I am just so confident in, in you as um, as a praying man, as a man that I know prays over our decisions. And I know that once you, you know, you consider this, that you're going to see we can't afford it now. But I do know that because you are, you make such wise decisions, make wise choices, I believe that one day and, and one day soon we're going to be able to buy that car. I just have such confidence in you. Well, I heard this. And 
It was so foreign to me. I, this is only a year ago, all right? Uh, that's why I said this is ongoing. But I, I thought to myself, what powerful words? Because he even said, I felt like my shirt got tight, my buttons were going to pop by all her trust in God in me. And I wanted to be that man for her, and it set a course on my life. And I thought, Lord, this is what I've done wrong my whole life. This is what, I mean, it's just, you know, and then you want to go, woe is me. But no, Debbie, you're still learning. Ladies, you're still learning. If you're single, you're still learning. Lord God, don't let me be governed by fear. And that changes our attitude. And that's, that's everything. When we go on here, it says that, for in the same way in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God, key number two, hoped in God. They used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become our children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. The, the reference that they give for Sarah calling him Lord had to do really with a sarcastic moment where he called him Lord when she was shriveled up and ready to die and, and he was shriveled up and ready to die and God came through an angel and said, oh, you're going to have a baby. And so she said all this in a very sarcastic tone. But I, I really think that this is referencing when Sarah had to trust and hope in God when her husband Abraham said to her, oh, by the way, while we're going through these uh, enemy territories, I don't want you to tell anybody you're my wife because you're really beautiful. And if they know, you know, you're, you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. She's and really so, pretty in her old age. In her old age, she was this beautiful. Wow. So anyway, she agrees because there's half sister and half brother. So it happened two times that these kings came and, oh, she's my sister. They took her to become part of the concubines or wives and all this. Abraham allowed this. And meanwhile, these kings showered Abraham with flocks and herds and camels, and he was just prospering. It never says in the word, Bren, never says in the word that he made it right. She hoped in God. God gave both of them guys a dream, said, do you know what you're doing? This lady's married to that man, and if you touch her, I am going to curse you. It was just wonderful. But our husbands do... They're not perfect. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was a close, a father, father of faith. Father yeah. of faith, right? Father of faith is doing this. Okay, I'm, no, that's another subject. But <laughs> the point is, our husbands aren't going to always make right decisions necessarily. But God's still in that. He's still training them, and He's causing us to hope in Him. But like Brent said, it's not that we can't share our wisdom. It's not that we can't share our desires and our but there's a bottom line that says, well, I hope in God past this. And so I think that was, oh, one thing I, else I wanted to say, control breeds deception. And I can't say that strong enough. If you allow the fear in your life, you're going to be deceived. And you'll think that you're not, but you are. So Specifically in unbelievers, can you share your story about Joan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Joanne. Yeah. It, part of their, um, Sarah's daughters, my friend Joanne, who's still my friend today, but we had, we had met, she already had three daughters, and she loved the Lord. But she told me her testimony, and uh, she was like a hippie like me. And she had, uh, uh, but I was, I didn't do drugs. It was the weirdest thing, but that's another story. But she did. So she said she went on this blind date with the bat. That's what they called him, the bat. So that will give you a picture here. They apparently did drugs. They woke up married. She had no recall of this. 
she stayed with him. Not only did she stay with him, but here she is, the three daughters, and she said, but I did, I did have to walk through a difficult time. She said, I found out that he had some sort of molestation where he molested uh, before they got married uh, with children. And she has three daughters. And she says, so I still leave the, the door open a certain amount of inches because I'm, you know, concerned about that. I said, oh, okay, I'm trying she to process it. She measured this. it in case she it's measured, been moved. She measured yeah. it in case the, the door was moved. I said, Joanna, I don't understand. Why, why are you still with him? Because, you know, biblically, I'm thinking, well, you know, you could, you could have left. And she said, Debbie, I know I could have left. She said, but I sought the Lord. Remember those scriptures in Isaiah. I sought the Lord, and he rose up in me a great grace and love for my husband and whispered, stay. Now, I am not saying in any way, and neither would Joanne, put a blanket thing, oh, just stay with him. I'm not saying that. Each person must seek the Lord in whatever difficulty they're in. But this was a genuine problem. So she stayed, and he was a wonderful father. This never occurred. Her daughters adored him because she adored him. Those, I, I, you said that last service. Just like pause on that for a second. Like wives, mothers, like, do you, did you hear that statement right there that she said? His, her daughters, his daughters adored him because she adored him. Yeah. There you was know, no hindrance there. I think we forget sometimes how much our interactions as couples yeah. affect our children Absolutely. and their view of us. Anyway, sorry. No, so she, her children are grown with children of their own, Christians all the way through, married Christian men. And when this man, Bat, the Bat, was about 50, he got terminal cancer. He radically gave his life to Christ. Sincerely, they had six months of living life together as Christians, texting back and forth. I said, Joanne, you are so my hero because your attitude convicts me. I'm just not even anywhere near there, but that was a picture in front of me that, Debbie, you need to humble yourself. Ask God, allow him to make what he wants to make of your life. So, yeah. And I think, again, there are, like, I think the big part of that is, is that there are some of you that maybe are in abusive relationships. Right. Uh, again, there is safety for that, but, but what I love about what Joanne did is she actually prayed to God right. for the decision. I feel like a lot of us, especially the younger ones in here, we don't really think about praying to God or seeking counsel for anything. We just make decisions and, and run. Right. And that's not really sitting inside of his will. Um, Debbie, we have, I know of a few people in the, in, in the room or at this church that are married to unbelieving spouses. And one of the keys that come out of the scripture is obviously that they're not going to be won by you nagging them to Christ, but instead it's, he gives you the formula for what your, your posture is supposed to look like. Right. But what we have more of in this church, I feel like, is we have a lot of couples and, and, and individuals in this, in, this, in this room that wives would say, well, I would lead, I would, I would get out of the way of leading if my husband would just lead. Right. Or we have these, these wives of husbands that maybe are newer believers than, than they are. Or they, they've been believers for a long time, but they're just not really surrendered in, in their whole aspect of life. And so the wives seem to be, you know, quote unquote, more spiritual than right. the husbands. What would your encouragement, this is an extra question, sorry. What would your encouragement be to, to those wives, to those, the ones that are here that say, well, you know, what, I, I lead, but he doesn't lead. Yeah. No. I think sometimes we do make that as our... Uh, what's the word, you know, our conditional thing. Well, he's not leading, so, and we think, well, then the rest of this is exempt. But there's just so much, and it is still a submission to God. And in that, there are 
creative, the creative words of God bring power to us as women, as wives. We have so much good power and influence as far as encouraging, making a way, making room for our husband's decisions. And um, like I'm so tight-fisted with money. The first number of years, well, I have to do the budget. I mean, you know, because I'm a saver and he's a spender and all this kind of, well, you know what? I made like so many mistakes too and I couldn't see. So finally, I said, Al, will you, oh yeah, I'll do the budget. He was willing to do it. And I, for the first time in my life, I had rest and I had joy. Money wasn't a burden anymore. And I, it, it, there's just so many things, Bren, that if we just give God the opportunity, he's going to grow our husbands in his way. That is not our job. Our job is to submit to him and look like him more and more. Yeah, I, I, I made the joke last service. I said, I don't really think I've ever known a husband to say, well, you're just submitting to me to make me change. Yeah. Right, like I don't think a husband's no. like, well, you know what? You just need to stop submitting me because you're manipulating me. Like there's yeah. like there's like I've never <laughs> seen that happen. But what we see out of out of First Peter is humility, love, moral purity, kindness, and respect are a very powerful means for a woman to to win a husband to faith. Uh, one of the things I, I can't I mean I can't say it enough. You're you're never gonna nag someone into life change. Like it's not it's not you that's going to change your your husband or your wife. It's it's the spirit of God that will do that change. And so maybe it needs to be more prayer. I wanted to talk real quickly about being a joy to lead. This is something that I think people use always in line with this idea. Like, okay, wives, be a joy to lead, all right? You know, just don't say a word. You know, be quiet and be joyful. Like, that's, um, that's not what that means, by the way. <laughs> but it's in reference, the scripture's in reference to elders to the church and, and the church being a joy for elders to lead. Um, one of the statements, and Danny said it this way, he says, you have to have joy in being led if you're going to be a joy to lead. And so I think a big part of this is, like, I look, I think in my marriage, Jen and I are not perfect by any means. In fact, I think she's a little bit more perfect than me. But, but either way, like, we both have a lot of struggles and a lot of mistakes. But one of the things that I'm, I can say, like, emphatically about Jen is she is a joy to lead. And I think as I, was, as I was processing with Debbie about, like, I wonder why or what is it specifically that does that, I think it's that I truly believe, like, even when Jen and I are fighting and we're struggling and we're messing up or we're having kind of our own struggles, I truly, truly believe that she trusts the Spirit of God in me more than she doubts me. And so I know that ultimately, like, she does, she does trust the Spirit of God in me. So when I, when I say that and why that's important is even two weeks ago, she totally cued me up with a great sermon illustration, which was awesome. She just said kind of out of nowhere, like, man, thank you so much for, for being such a good leader to me. Well, I'm a words of encouragement person, and that was huge to me. And so one of the, one of the things that I will just tell you, wives, right now, all of your husbands are insecure, right? Guys just struggle with insecurity. Encouragement can go a really, really long way. But what I, because I'm confident that she trusts the Spirit of God in me, not, again, not me, because I'm not trustworthy without God, but because she trusts that, I can trust then that, that when she comes to me, because the joy to lead doesn't mean that you don't question, but when she questions a decision that I'm making or she, has, she wants to understand more, she's like, I don't know if that's what we're supposed to do. I know that she's not coming to me because she says, I don't trust your leadership or I don't trust submitting to you. She's coming to saying, I want to make sure that we're following the Lord in this. And so it's not, it's not, a, it's not a sidestep to me. It's not a slam in the, in, in the back where it's like, well, you're just supposed to submit to me. You're just supposed to listen. Instead, it's I really value her voice. Honestly, great leaders know that the voices of those they're leading is, is incredibly important to every choice being made. And so, so being a joy to lead is, is, is important, um, but also I think it's, again, coming back to this idea of giving up control 
and submission. Like if you if you are desiring control, you're you're gonna really struggle to be be a joy to be led in in, in that matter. For right, is there anything you want to add to that specifically? Uh, the only thing that comes to mind is uh, in Isaiah chapter 30, uh, the middle of the chapter, I think around verse 15, it says, "In repentance and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you are not willing." And then it goes on to say, "And you ran." And your enemy runs swifter after you. And, and your enemy isn't your husband. Your enemy is, is the liar. And he runs until you're left flapping in the breeze like a flag on the top of a mountain all by yourself. But then the next verse is so cool. It says, but he waits and he longs to have compassion on you. And so I would encourage all of us, single, married, that we wouldn't have that stubbornness. We wouldn't be unwilling but we would develop quietness and trust and, and see the salvation of the Lord come. Yeah, and I even wrote it down. Ephesians 6, we'll get there again, but he says that the battle is not against flesh and blood. I often think as, as spouses, we fight each other for the enemy instead of fighting the enemy with each other. I really do. I think, I think a lot of times we view our spouse as the enemy. And, and let's, just, let's just be clear. If, if, I'm, if I'm the enemy, if I'm Satan, my desire is to destroy all marriages. Why? Because if marriage is done well and done right, they're the perfect image on this world of Christ and the church. So why wouldn't I attack marriage so that everyone can say, oh, look, marriages in the church, they divorce just as much. And look, yeah. you know, the, the wives don't have to submit and husbands don't have to lead. And like, it just, it just, it unravels there. A second thing, another thing I want to talk real quickly is just to you singles in here. We have some, not as many because it's spring break right now, but... Um, <laughs> This happens now. So, like I, I, like, I love this. Danny said this to me this last week. We were talking about it. If you're single and you're not dating anyone, you're not married, you get a choice in who you're going to submit to. So, maybe you're like, man, I really want to, I, I have a choice in this matter right now. Like, I get to choose that person. Let me just give you a cue. If you're dating someone and they're not submitted to God, it's not always going to go well for you. Like, that's a choice. If you don't see them submitted to leadership as a whole, what makes you assume that, oh, once we're married, they'll all of a sudden figure that out? Similarly, guys, if you're, if, you're, if you're dating a woman or you see her that she is just not submitted to the Lord, it's not like she's going to get married and all of a sudden know how to submit. That's not how it works, right? No. I'm not a woman, but I just make no. sure, yeah. It doesn't just happen. In fact, I, I, would, I would encourage you to look at, at your own hearts. Are you trusting God? Are God's ways more valuable and more important and good and better than your ways? And if, if, if that's the reality, you can start working on that now. So if you're single and you're like, I want to be married, well, start spending more time understanding what it means to be a child of God and trusting his will for your life so that when this, when this marriage, when this covenant, this beautiful covenant comes in place, you don't have to, to give in the fact of, oh, I, I, I decided to marry someone that isn't submitted to the Lord or, oh, I decided to, to marry someone that doesn't submit to Christ in their life. Like, you, you can make that choice now. And so, so look, I, I would challenge you. Like, I get it. You want to go for attraction and you want to go for, like, oh, man, they got a good career coming because they're in engineering school or whatever it may be. Like, uh, those are all fine and dandy, but, but what should be most important as a single person is does this person love the Lord? Is this person submitted to Christ in their life? Are they submitted to any other individual of authority over their lives? Or they just seem like it's cool that they kind of, you know, buck the system, right? Like, if that's your. You're, you're lending yourself, you're going that way. You're running yourself into a very dangerous direction. And so it starts as a single person now. Um, we were gonna talk, we went long, my bad. Um, sure. Romans 12 says this, uh, this is how I wanna end it today. It says, are, uh, basically, are you willing to trust God in God's ways? Are we willing to live for his purposes? Romans 12, one through two says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, 
Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what, the, what, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christians, we've, we've been introduced in this new life. So how, how ridiculous then would it be for us in this new life to start operating as a part of the world? And the scripture is talking about here. And again, it's, he's arguing from, for spiritual discernment that discovers what God wants us to do and then sets itself to do it. So, so why, when you submit to the Lord, you're not, again, you're not just, or when you submit to the Lord, you then, out of submission to the Lord, submit to your husband. In fact, one person wrote it this way, the renewal of the mind enables the believer to discern what is good, what is pleasing to God, and what is perfect. We have discerned it. The same renewal sets them to the task. Oh, and having discerned it, that same renewal sets them to the task of performing what is seen as the will of God. Uh, the, the band's going to come up, and in, in, in just a second we're going to worship. But I, I, I can say this right now. There's probably some of you in here right now, if you're husbands, you're thinking, oh, I hope she's listening, I hope she's listening, I hope she's listening. That's not the right, right posture, okay? <laughs> I want to just tell you that right now. If you've been nudging her all day, like you need to repent for your... For your, for your your hostility in that. But wives, if, you, if you're in here and you're going, man, I, like, if you hear Debbie talking, like, I want that. Or you hear about Joanne's story, you're like, I, I desire that. But I just, I'm not there. Like, my, my encouragement would be, it, it starts with repentance. And I was talking to my kid, one of my kids yesterday about repentance. And it's the idea, again, it's, it's turning from to God. And so it's not just, it's not just an acknowledging, of, oh, I just haven't been submissive. It's, it's no, my unsubmissiveness is sinful. And I desire no longer to be sinful, but I desire to be in the right standing with God. I desire to be in His, His, His will and His, His choices. And so I would encourage you, some of you, like some of you as wives, like you, you need to ask for forgiveness from your husbands. You don't need to wait for them to ask for forgiveness after next week because they probably will need to do that too, okay? <laughs> but, but you need to ask for forgiveness. And husbands, when they ask for forgiveness, it's not like, well, it's about time. Okay, that's, that's again, that's a, that's a big, big fail on your part. But, but, but again, I can't help but think if, if, just, if we could just, as a body of Christ, in this area right here, if we could just operate more out of this, this roles that God has distinct, distinctly set up, I can't help but picture how much clearer the bride of Christ would look to this, to this world, how much clearer Christ's love for this world would look as the way he operates with this church. And so, so again, I, I would call you to, to, to repentance. I would call you to ask for help. I would call you to seek the Lord for, for direction. And some of you, this is going to be hard. Like, this is going to be really, really hard because you have so many justifiable reasons why your husband doesn't deserve to be submitted to. You do. You, you carry those, and you walk with them. Well, if he would just do this, and if he would just do this, or I'm, I'm so much better at this, or I'm so much, and you have so many, many reasons, which, again, going back to Debbie's story, I feel like it's a lot of that independence, control, rebellion. And, it, and so let me pray for us, and then we'll go. God, thank you for... Um, your word, thank you so much for Debbie and her heart to share this with me. Um, it is such an encouragement to see um, her and Al's life and to know that and just to see where you have been victorious over and over and over again in them. God, I pray for this body. I pray that we'd be a people um, submitted to you. And I pray for, for the wives in here. I pray that the wives would truly be submitted to, to you. And in that posture of submission to you, they would submit to their husbands. Father, as we get ready to, um, to, to, to worship and, and to, through offering and singing, God, I pray that we would do so out of a position of, of repentance, a desire to be in a right standing with you, a desire to be running from that which holds footholds and strength, strongholds in our lives against your will. God, I pray uh, just, it, I just pray you do amazing work in every marriage in this room. I pray that this would be for the, hus- for the wives with unbelieving husbands. God, I pray that you'd wreck their hearts. 
and they'd be one. They'd be one to, to your glory because of uh, the gentleness and the, the, the faithfulness of your daughters. God, for the, for the, for the wives that are um, like desiring not to submit, maybe whether it's, it's out of rebellion or independence or it's just out of fear, whatever the cause is, God, I pray that they would trust, no longer look to their husband and what to trust in him, but would just trust you, God. They would submit themselves fully to you and your will. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.